0: God's Word. And so we're going to talk about that a little more, but I just want to say uh, welcome. I'm excited to be a part of your Sunday experience. You've made your way to church. You're here to worship together. You're here to hear about God, hear God's voice. You've all brought in your own story, even just from this week, from last year, from 2015, whether it was a great year, whether it was a tough year, whatever that year was like for you, you've brought a lot of that in. And I think God wants to speak to that. And so I'm honored. Uh, I really am honored, humbled, and blessed to be able to talk with you today and share from God's Word about that specifically. And so we're going to be talking about what it looks like to get into God's Word, what it looks like to get into the Bible. Um, Some of you guys have different thoughts about what the Bible is. Some of you guys think it's a collection of stories or it's an ancient religious text. Uh, Some of you have experienced the Bible as, as a tool or as a weapon even something that was used maybe in your home to manipulate or to control or to justify abusive behavior. Um, And it was used as something that people took power from. And if that's you, if that's at all your story, I just want to say sorry before we go any farther. Um, I'm sorry. It's even emotional talking about it because it's God's word. It's uh, it's God's desire to show you, to lay out his love for you. And I'm sorry that it was used that way. Um, Some of you guys have understood it to be the acronym uh, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. (laughs) Even that, easy to remember, kind of sticks, is such a short sale of what God's Word is. Even that falls so much shorter than that. God's Word is so much more than a manual, so much more than principles or a law to build your life around. But here at Manus, we believe that God's Word is exactly that, it is god's word given to his people 2 timothy 3:16 defines it as this it says all scripture meaning the bible is god breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of god may be equipped thoroughly for every good work oh. that word god breathed up there actually isn't a greek word they they had a translator struggle with that because it's this idea that god is the source not just inspiring it, but God himself has breathed his word into life. It has actually come from him. And we see that it has many uses, it has many things that is profitable for, whether it's teaching, correcting, training, so that you'd be equipped in all that you're going to do. And so God's word is something powerful for, for us in our lives. And it doesn't take very much convincing for people sitting in a church to understand that they should probably read the Bible. If you have an hour of a speaker telling you at a church you should read your Bible, some of you guys might leave here a little bit disappointed because we all know that we need to do these things. We've all had our experience with these things. But sometimes where we miss the mark is why. Why is this important? And how is this going to help me in real life? How is this story? How are these basic instructions before leaving earth? How are these things going to actually help me in reality? How are they going to help me on a Monday in my job? How are they going to help me with my kids? How are they going to help me personally with my own struggles? And so actually, when I open up God's word today in Luke chapter 15, it's a familiar story, and we're going to start there. It's the story of the prodigal son. Some of you guys are familiar. Some of you guys have never been to church, but you've heard the term prodigal son. And actually, I, I want to step back away from that title, because it's really a story about Two sons, an elder son and a younger son. And they both leave home and they both have their struggles. Many of you know about the prodigal son, the younger son, who asks for his inheritance from his father, basically saying, hey, Dad, I wish you were dead because if you were dead, I would get all of the property that was owed me, all of the wealth that was due to me. We've never said anything that crazy to our parents, right? In a teenage fit of rage, we've never said anything so crazy as... To be, I wish you were never here. I wish you were gone. Things would be easier without you. And surely none of us have said anything like that as adults, right? We've never been in that place. So his father gives him the inheritance and lets him go. And it says that he goes out when he lives his life loosely. It says that he spends his money on loose living, spending it on any lustful desire of his heart. And he goes out when he hits rock bottom. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 17. Verse 17. You can read along on the screen with me. We'll have the scriptures for you. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 17. And it says this. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I, have, I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now he arose and came to his father He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now, that's the story that most of us are familiar with, but there's a second half, there's a back half of the story. See, there was two sons. There was the older and the younger. The younger comes home, is embraced, is loved by his dad, but the elder son, the one who stayed home and did what he was supposed to and read his Bible every day and showed up to church and did all the right things and didn't go out and got good grades and wasn't disobedient, and put his head down, and did the work, and stayed home. Well, he has a story too. Continuing on, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. Both sons are coming in here, both of them. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. Now look at the older son's reaction. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, see how he even disassociates himself from his brother? He doesn't say this brother of mine, he says this son of yours. He's already creating distance, even in the way he's talking. But this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him and said to him, and the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. Would you pray with me before we go on? God, we thank you for this time around your word. We believe that your word uh, is powerful. Um, More than just instructions, God, we believe that your word can transform a heart. That you can change us from the inside out, God. That you can touch those places in us that have been empty for so long and bring life. That is what you do, God. You can bring dead things to life. So would you be with us now? Would you speak uh, to your church? God, would you show them that you love them? In ways that only you can. So we thank you, Lord. We offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's New Year's. Uh, We all have our New Year's resolutions. Some of us, a lot of us, want to exercise. We want to eat better. We want to aspire career-wise to hit these different goals. Uh, One of my goals was to just eat better. You know, I'm. I I just I don't feel like I can eat, consume the amount of food. (laughs) for very much longer these next few years, I'm going to start to feel it. And so on Friday, uh, you guys know it was January 1st, and so we're out, we're hanging out, I'm like, all right, I'm going to eat better. And it just got late, my wife didn't feel like preparing a meal, and neither did I, we ended up at a drive-thru and six tacos, two burritos, and a Double Dale cheeseburger. Later, I just figured, well, you know, this New Year's diet can start on the second. And then I realized the second was a Saturday, and no one starts a diet on the weekend. So. We'll see what happens tomorrow. But we're in this time where we're setting up these goals and ideas and aspirations for the new year. And we have these goals, these different ways we're going to branch out, these different ways we're going to um, attack the new year. And one of the places you might find yourself, as so many people do in the month of January, is this odd place called uh, the gym. Yes, and it is an odd place, almost as odd as Walmart, but not quite on the level of Walmart, those of you guys who aren't chuckling, it's because you've never been, I want to invite you to go maybe after hours between the hours of 10 and 12. It'll be an adventure, it'll be fun. Uh, You might find yourself in this odd place called the gym and it is an odd place. There are guys there grunting, kind of muttering to themselves. There's this weird aroma, this mixture of ax and deodorant and perfume and sweat and dirt You might even be so bold as to venture into the deepest, darkest place there called the locker room. And oh, the scenes of the locker room. I can't even get into that because I'm at church on a stage. (laughs) Let me just tell you, it's a dark and scary place. Uh, But I'm one of those odd people who likes to go there, but I'm also an introvert. So I'm one of those odd weirdos who goes to the gym at like 4.30 or 5 in the morning because, yeah, I want to work out, but I just don't want to be around any of y'all when I do it. I just kind of want to be by myself, I want to sweat by myself, I kind of want to be alone, let me just sit in my area, please don't look at me, don't stand around me, like, I love you and Jesus will love you after 6 a.m. when I'm awake, and then we can talk about it, but before then, I got the headphones in, I have these eyebrows low and intimidating, tattoos, all signs say, don't talk to me, please, for the love of God, don't talk to me. And sometimes I do it unwillingly. I have this syndrome called resting jerk face where, you know, I just, without an effort, my faces go away. And sometimes I forget that. I remember when me and my wife first started dating, I thought I was giving her like the eyes, you know, like the, hey, baby, what's up? And I think she just thought I was really angry at her and was probably a little scared. But I have that face on at the gym And usually if someone's going to talk to me, it's like one of three questions. It's, hey, how many sets do you have left? To which I say 20, Uh, or hey, can you spot me? Sure, bro, no problem. Or they give me the, the classic question about my calves. Bro, are those real? What happened to your calves? How'd they get so big? What should I do? I don't know. You don't want big calves. They're heavy. They're slow. They make buying jeans a pain. Like, if your goal this year is to have bigger calves, get a new goal. (laughs) It's just not worth it. And so, I kid you not, like, two weeks ago, I'm in the gym, I'm working out, it's going great, no one's talking to me, I'm not talking to anybody. And then this guy walks up, kind of a smaller guy, um, but doesn't seem to be intimidated or worried, just comes up and kind of taps me on the shoulder. I take out the headphone that he was supposed to see and walk away from. And I said, OK, well, I guess I'll take that out so I can hear what you have to say now. And uh, he doesn't hit me with the how many sets. He doesn't say, hey, can you spot me? And he's not looking awkwardly at my calves, so it's not about my calves. And he says, hey, bro, you ever thought about you know, life and if there's more than this? And I'm kind of like, well, that's an odd question. <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he says, what about heaven? I'm like, oh, I know where this is going. I've been down this road before. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. And I'm like, this guy doesn't know me. I'm, you know, what do I say? Oh, I'm a Christian too. What, what, What do I say? So I don't say anything. And I just let him... Continue to go on. You know, Jesus died for your sins. He loves you. He cares about you. Uh, no matter what you look like, He cares for you. <laughs> All right, well, I guess I'll go home. Uh, but I hear this, and He's talking to me about it, and He's witnessing to me, and He's evangelizing. And uh, let me just tell you as I'm sitting there thinking about how I'm going to respond, There was so much a part of me that just loved being anonymous. I loved that he didn't know that I worked at a church or I knew Jesus. I loved just being someone who could have a truly fresh start. So much of me wanted to say, yes, pray for me. Let's pray together. Yes, let me talk to God. Let him forgive me of my sins. Let's start over. You don't have to know that I've already met Jesus and that I worked at a church. You don't have to know these things that I read my Bible and have a relationship with Him because so much of me just reveled in the idea of being new again, of having a fresh start, not feeling like I had already wasted my second, my third, my fourth, and my fifth chance, like God might be fed up with me and my trying and my failing and my trying and my failing, and like I wasn't worthy. And it shook me because I think in all of us, there is this deep desire to start over, whether you're a Christian, a believer or not. Whether you've been trying to walk out this life God's way for 10 years, five years or five days. There's this longing in us to start over, to be fresh, to be forgiven. And we have that. And sometimes it can be more difficult the longer you've been in a church to come back and to start over. Because that second chance feels like it's, it can possibly be there. You've had that second chance. You've exploited that second chance. You've been there. And so whether you're starting over this year in a career, you're starting over in a relationship, you're starting over with whatever your goal is, I think starting over with God and reading the Bible and going through a year plan and starting over at church and bringing your kids to kids ministry and doing all of this. Starting over in a relationship is always difficult because if you're gonna truly start over in a relationship, there's one thing that's always necessary and that's honest communication. If you're gonna start over in any relationship, whether it be with God or anyone around you, restarting, starting over, starting new always requires honest conversation, communication about what happened, about what was said, what shouldn't have been said, usually sounds like an apology, even just a clarifying question. The starting over of a relationship will always start with communication, and both sons knew this. Look at the first son in verse 17. The younger son says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, while I perish here with hunger? I will arise, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy, worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. He dress rehearses the conversation, right? Anyone here ever done that? You dress rehearsed the conversation about, hey, I know what they're going to say, so I'm going to say this, and I'm going to rebut that, and I'll figure it out. And you've already had the conversation long before you ever talked to the person or actually you've dress rehearsed the conversation so many times in your head and you're so sure that you know exactly what they're going to say that you just never have the conversation? Well, I know Well, I know what she's going to say. I, don't, I, well, I already know. I, you, now, have you talked to them about it? No, because I know what they'll say. It seems like the younger son's making a lot of assumptions, isn't he? And you know what they say about those who make assumptions, right? It's in Proverbs somewhere, I think. Just (laughs) Google it. I don't know. He's making a lot of assumptions here. And look at what he's assuming. He's assuming that he's no longer a son. He's assuming that he's been disowned. That he no longer belongs to the father or to the family. Some huge assumptions. He's assuming that he can only come home as a servant. He's assuming that he'll only be welcomed if he works. He'll only be welcome back if he makes it up. If he can prove that he belongs there. He's making a lot of assumptions here. And look at the the older son now. He, in the same way, is refusing to have conversations. Uh, Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him but he answered his father look these many years i've served you i've never disobeyed your command if that isn't an exaggeration yet you never gave me a young goat that i might celebrate with my friends he's using a lot of absolutes isn't he i got married in october only been married a few months but i know absolutes in a conversation probably aren't very good you always or i never You always do this, and I always do that, and this never happens, and why don't you ever? In the heat of this conversation, there are a whole lot of absolutes flying around. I never disobey, and you never did this, and I never had this. This is an emotional conversation, right? The father and the son aren't having some calm, collected conversation like good Christians do with their hands folded and smiles on their face. This was a heated conversation. This is an eruption of emotion from this older son. And he says, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the calf for him. Now, some of us dress rehearse conversations before we have them and others of us just never have them all together. The amount of bitterness and resentment that is spewing out of the elder son is pretty impressive. This isn't a result of relationship or conversations that happened between a father and a son. The father runs out to meet his younger son and welcome him and hugs him and embraces him. His older son does quite the opposite. He stands back and refuses to welcome him in. He stands back and keeps his distance. Their hearts couldn't be further from each other. See, this story isn't about one lost prodigal son who goes off, lives a crazy life, and comes home. It's about two sons who were both lost, who both left home. One still lived there, but he had departed nonetheless. He was living in the home of the father, and had departed nonetheless. Their hearts were no closer. His heart was no more closer than his younger brother, One was lost in lust and the other was lost in bitterness and resentment. It's unfortunate that our churches can be filled with both of these hearts. With one completely lost in lust and one completely lost in bitterness and resentment towards those who are lost in their lust. All the while the heart's father is for both of them. Do you notice that the father ran out to the younger son and he also left the party to run out to his elder son? Do you notice the consistency of the father's heart? And even the consistency of both sons. Both wanted the inheritance. One was just going to rebel and get it his way and the other was going to get the inheritance the right way. He was going to earn it. He was going to serve his father. And what was supposed to be service to his family somehow became Slavery to an idea, slavery to this inheritance, slavery to property. And it was all about what was due to him and what he rightfully deserved. It's always incredible to me when I as a Christian become, can become so consumed with what is due me and what's rightfully mine because I did the right things and I didn't go there and I respected that person and I talked the right way and I give my tithe and I show up to church. When my faith is built around God giving me everything I didn't deserve in his son. Yet in the day-to-day, I can be consumed with getting what I deserve. And I balk at it, I'm so angry with those who get what I don't think they deserve at all. That guy hasn't loved you. Why does he get that? Why does he get that blessing? Why did he get that promotion? He surely doesn't love you the way I love you. Look at what I do. And there's a subtlety to bitterness and to resentment when we avoid these conversations. Some of us will avoid prayer and reading your Bible this year because it'll mean a conversation about a lustful lifestyle. And some of you guys will approach the scriptures and meet it because you're there to go to work and there to earn and there to deserve good things the rest of the day. I spent my 30 minutes with Jesus, so therefore the rest of my day will be blessed. And as a blessing with spending time with God, yes, but are you entitled to comfortable circumstances because of your relationship with God? No. So both hearts are distant, but look at the way that God, the way that Father, the Father speaks in both situations. Looking at the first son in verse twenty, Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Uh, Like I said, I just got married, and uh, this kind of speaks to my life because you guys probably finished the statement, actions speak louder than Let's try that one more time. Actions speak louder than... Right. Uh, I mean, we've moved in. We're living together. We're like, okay, how do I figure out my space? How much of the bed is actually my side of the bed? How much is actually yours? When do we do the dishes immediately after eating? Or can they sit there for a little while? Well, I watch ESPN and I'll do it later. I promise. I'll come back. It'll be great. Uh, how exactly... Does all of this work? How does this fit together? I I love writing. I write poems. I can give you beautiful words all day. Unfortunately, uh, my wife doesn't want poems. She wants a clean house. (laughs) She wants uh, me to basically act like an, an adult. Crazy. I can fill up. A notebook full of beautiful words but if they're never followed by actions they're meaningless i can tell my wife that i love her and that i care for her but if i don't serve her if i don't actually put those words into action then it falls short right see the father knew very well his younger son and he knew exactly what that younger son was going to need And that younger son had already dress-rehearsed the conversation. He knew what was going to be said and what he needed to say. And so the father steps beyond a conversation and he acts. He runs out and embraces him. He puts an arm around him. So many times my wife will have a conversation with me about what's difficult at work and more than my solution. She just wants an arm around her. father knows exactly what that younger son needs at the moment, and his actions speak. He runs out and he meets him in the field. He embraces him and he kisses him. and He holds him there. And then, of course, the younger son begins to say his part. Okay, well, this is where I say what I'm going to say. And Did you notice in the story, it's like the father didn't even hear what he said. Like the father doesn't even acknowledge that he said anything. He says, quickly, bring the best robe, bring the ring, put it on his hand, bring sandals, put them on his feet. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the son of mine. He was lost, he's found. He was dead, he's now alive. But look at the one thing that the father does say in direction of the younger son. Verse 24, these first four words. For this, my son... For this, my son. Did the younger son need to know in that moment, this is where you really screwed up, kid. This is how you do it the right way. This is what you need to do and how you need to do it. Let me tell you how we fix the problem. Let me tell you how you're going to work your way back in here. Let me tell you about what privileges you're going to have and not have for the foreseeable future. You're going to be on a little bit of a probationary period. And says, my son, he says, everything you thought you lost is still yours. You're still my son. I'm still your father. You have every right to be here. You're not a servant. You're not a slave. You're mine. I'm going to own you, everything you brought in the door. I'm not ignoring what happened. But you're still mine, and nothing can change that. Extremely similar to the next conversation, isn't it? The elder son goes off on a tirade saying, You never gave me this, you never gave me that. And what does the father say to him? My son, you are with me always. And everything that is mine is yours. Is the father saying, Hey, don't worry, I have more goats. Anyone here ever had a goat? Is he really angry about a goat right now? Is he really angry about a meal? Is he really mad that he's not having a party? Because we all know that no matter how great the party was on New Year's Eve, that's why some of you guys are here at church, right? (laughs) Those end, right? Is the elder son really all knotted up because he didn't get to have that awesome party and he didn't get that awesome food? Or is he not just saying, Dad, what about me? I've been here. I've been doing this. What about me? Do you care about me? I see you love them and you care about them. But what about me? I know that you love the sinner and those who are messed up. But what about me? I'm trying. I'm working. I stayed home. Why does it matter that I'm doing the right thing? If you love those who do the wrong thing, who cares? And what's the father's answer? He doesn't tell them, here's where you went wrong. Here's the commandment you missed. Here's the thing you didn't study well enough. Here's the thing you didn't do enough of. He says, my son, everything that's mine is yours. You're always with me. What's he saying in that? He's saying, yeah, you can have the other goats. You can have the inheritance. But more than that, you can have me. You can have the relationship with me. The father here has two sons who both want everything but him. The most painful character, the, mo- the character who's enduring the most in this story isn't an older son or a younger son. it's the father who's constantly being rejected by his sons, who don't want him but the things that he has. And he says to his older son, "You have me." And I'm going to be more than any of that. Yeah, you have everything. All that's mine is yours, including myself, including our relationship, including the time we spend together. He says, you're mine and I'm yours. And he says it to both sons. He says it to the son who's lost in his sin and he says it to the son who's lost in his bitterness. He says, you're mine and I'm yours. Both sons wanted an inheritance, and they both wanted to be slaves and servants. And the father says to both of them, "You're a son, and I'm your father." First, uh, these last few years, uh, I've been playing, been playing rugby because I needed to find new ways to run into stuff at a fast speed. I, I don't know. I've started playing that. My dad's a rugby coach. Um, I didn't grow up with my dad. My dad and my mom got a divorce when I was three. So our time seeing each other would literally be like years in between. And so one of the ways I've been rebuilding that relationship with my dad is through playing rugby. He coaches, uh, I play. What a great way to start a relationship, right? Father, son, coach, player, great. And I've been playing and a couple years ago, two years ago exactly, I think. Uh, we played this game. It was a playoff game. It was against this team from Oceanside. And Oceanside has a large... Uh, Polynesian population. So Samoans and Tongans, a lot of big calves, big thighs, long hair, tattoos, a lot of that going on. And so growing up as a kid, my mom uh, is Mexican, my dad was Tongan, so I was half of each one obviously. And when you grow up half, you're like not enough of one or the other for either side. So for like my mom's side of the family, Uh, you look kind of different. Your legs are kind of big. I don't know if you're Mexican. Great. Okay. And then on the Tongan side, uh, you're not really big enough. I mean, you're kind of pretty and we're not so. That's why my mom would tell me to make me feel better. Okay. Um, And so there was always this intense rivalry. And even growing up in high school playing football, there was like a another guy, a Samoan guy, or a Tongan guy on the other team. Like, I wanted to lay that guy out to prove myself. And so we're playing this team from Oceanside and Rugby. And there's literally all Tongan and Samoan dudes. And then I think there was like one white guy. I think I was a little more nervous about that guy, because I was like, what do you have to do to get into the club? You know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm a little scared of you right now, actually. And we're getting ready, and we're lining up. And my dad's there. And this is a serious thing. Like They're doing like a war chant and a dance before the game. And I'm, and I'm about it. I'm like, yeah, boy, we're ready for this. Let's go. And I'm so excited, and I'm so amped, and I'm so pumped. And my dad was an awesome rugby player. Here's my chance. I'll take care of these guys. I'll prove who I am right now. And I remember, if you guys aren't familiar with rugby, it's a lot of running, tackling, basic stuff. A guy stands 20 yards from you, you stand here. You run up, you catch the ball, you collide. Um, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, complicated. And so I see this guy. He's tattooed. I'm like, perfect. I don't have to wonder. This is going to be great. I run up. I catch it. And, and I do, guys. I'm just saying. It's pretty awesome. And I run the guy over. And I run him over. I get tackled by the next two guys, just saying. And they take me down. But as I was laying there, I get up. And as I stood up, I stood up with so much energy, just feeling this deep welling up from within me. This is what it was. I stood up. And for the first time in my entire life, at 23 years old, I looked up, with my head held high, and my chest out. And I felt like I was worthy to be called my father's son. I didn't have to hide my head. If someone asked him on the sideline in that moment, hey, who is that kid? He wouldn't have to say my name. He could just say, well, that's my son. Yeah, that's him. He, he came from me. That's mine out there. He did that. I had so much just pride, so much confidence filled me up. Well, that was the first play of the game. So the game went on and I got shellacked a couple of times. I dropped the ball a few times. I'd done some good things, some bad things. And with the highs came the pride, and with the downs came the depression, and the, oh, no, well, that's embarrassing. I hope he didn't see that. I hope no one remembers that. I hope this doesn't come up in conversation afterwards. You see, sometimes we can get confused and think that as we're achieving things, as you step into 2016 and you accomplish some things, some significant things, that it's then when you've accomplished those things that you become significant, that you earn your place, that you show yourself to be someone, you prove to yourself and everybody else who you are. When God says no, from the minute you step out of this building into life, you're mine and I'm yours. And whether success or failure is on the other side of those doors, you couldn't be more mine than you are right now. I couldn't be more pleased to own you than I am right now. I couldn't be more proud of you than I am right now. Significance isn't waiting on the other side of 2016. It's not waiting this December. It's here, January 3rd for you. Guys are not waiting to see how you perform, whether you step up or whether you stumble. He's here to tell you now that you're approved of. Before Jesus got into ministry, as he was getting baptized, it says that the heavens opened up and God's voice could be audibly heard saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Before Jesus had died on the cross, the father was pleased with him. And he says the same thing to you today. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. With you, I'm well pleased. With you, I'm pleased. I'm happy, I'm proud. How so? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made him who is without sin to be sin for us so that we would be the righteousness of God. Jesus brings you into that relationship. Jesus has made you a son, a daughter of a God who loves you hey, I thought this was supposed to be about reading God's word in the annual read. Oh, it is. I just believe that if you can know that you are loved by God and that he's proud of you before you read and before the results come in and before your Bible study's over and before you can pick out something good to share with a friend that you're approved of, that you're loved, But you're always welcome, whether you're lost in lust or lost in bitterness. Come speak with the Father because his voice is there to tell you who you are when you forget. When the world tells you you're somebody else, God's word and his voice are there to remind you of who you are. That's loved. That's righteous. That's enjoyed. Delighted. And some of you guys will stand here and look me dead in the face and say that I know Jesus loves me but lack so much confidence if I asked you if he liked you. Okay, I know you know Jesus loves you, but does he like you? Does he delight in you? Does he enjoy you? Does Jesus like hanging out with you? Does he like singing with you when you're at home? Does he enjoy when you're in the car dancing like a fool? Yes. Because our Father loves us that way. I want to encourage you as you step into God's word, as you pick up an annual read, to not make it about what you're gonna know, but who you're gonna know. That it's about seeking God in his voice that can tell you who he is and who you are as a son or as a daughter of that God. That as you open up those pages, God would speak life into you. You don't need to be intimidated. God has given you his spirit so that as you read, he'll give you understanding Guys, I'm telling you, I got my first Bible that I borrowed from a church when I was 18. I hadn't read many books. I basically read a playbook, and that was about it. But God met me there, and I believe God's going to meet you there as you seek him, as you step towards him that way. It's a great act of faith to read a Bible. It's an incredible act of faith for you to sit down and believe that God's going to be there. But I believe God's calling you to that. I believe he's inviting you into that inviting us into that as a church. Um, would you pray with me? God, I, I just want to pray um, for us as a church, for all of us, myself included, that as we um, embark on this journey into 2016, we would go into 2016 knowing that we're loved by you, knowing that you're pleased with us, that you look down at us with a smile, not in condemnation, your, your brows not furrowed, you're not angry, you're not disappointed, but you're proud and you're, you're pleased with us. And we thank you for your son Jesus that covers us and, and takes care of our sin, God. God, I pray for the conversations that will happen with you this year. Conversations with, with your sons and daughters who may think that you have one thing to say, God, I pray that you'd speak life and love into them. That where condemnation is expected, that grace would be given out. That where shame and guilt have just been a stronghold, that your love would overcome that and tear that down this year. God, would you speak to your church through your word this year? As they open it up, as they venture to know you, as they venture to seek you out in a deeper relationship with you, would you meet them in that journey? Would you answer those prayers? Would you give them understanding that they've never had before? Would you do the impossible and the unexplainable, God, like only you can? We thank you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I was listening to the message, I think this would be a, a great uh, time of. Uh, so we always do a response after the message, and that's so that's so key. But I would suggest to you that maybe one of the ways we can respond is um, you individually or with your whole family coming and recommitting this year. Um, I think I'm going to do that next service when my wife is here. Just recommitting this year to God and just saying we are yours. So there's a prayer.